We want to thank the great folks over at Game Surplus for their sponsorship of the show. Fantastic folks, a great reputation, along with an ever-growing, amazing inventory of imported and hard-to-find games. Well, you can see why we're proud to be partnered with Game Surplus. Their tagline is home of great games at great prices, so check them out at gamesurplus.com. And when you do, remember to tell them Heavy Cardboard sent you. Heavy Cardboard, episode 67, A Feast for Odin. Coming to you from Valhalla, well, sort of, or, you know, Denver, Colorado, welcome to Heavy Cardboard, where we talk medium and heavy strategy board games, war games, 18xx, and other related topics in the board gaming hobby. We're your hosts, I'm Edward. And I'm Amanda. So a lot's been going on lately. Mostly good, some maybe not so good, a little dark. And I'll be honest, I was going to include some self-reflection in the pretty dark stuff this episode, but we thought it best to break it off to its own pod blast. So if that's something that you're curious about, then look for it next week. If not, no harm, no foul. Yeah. The basement's finally done. Yeah, officially. Like, the punch list is finished and... Yeah, it's it's done done. It's done done, and we we, we have pictures up. Um, it's on the on Flickr, so that if you're not on Facebook, you don't have to go there. You can actually use something else, and I'll put that link in the show notes so y'all can check it out and let us know what you think. And I am officially off of Weight Watchers. <laughs> well, I shouldn't say that I'm no longer, or I should say I'm no longer. We are no longer paying for Weight Watchers for me, for Amanda. We are, but right. not for me. And the way I see it is. I'm down to 207 pounds and having zero issues maintaining my weight. So, yeah, I I don't see the point. The lifetime stuff doesn't apply for online. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense to me. Yep, absolutely. I'm so proud of you. Thanks. A new month means a new game of the month. Started on Monday with The Colonist and Nina and Pinta on the table. And then Friday, the previous Friday, we started the game of the month on that. And the game that was voted, Age of Steam. So, yay. And we have, like... Two or th- sometimes three tables of Age of Steam going yeah. down here at the Great. same time. That's really, really cool. Not to mention our Saturday game group is still going strong. Mm-hmm. So this is not, you know, like caused the Saturday day to, you know, become a ghost town because no. people are people are doing it in conjunction with. Yeah, which, it's great. Yeah, it's exactly what we were hoping for. Yep. I've been sick for almost two weeks um, at first it was just a cold and now it's a sinus infection, but I'm currently on 875 milligrams of Augmentin twice a day. That seems, that seems oddly specific, right? Yeah. You know, like, not like, 900, yeah, not 800, not 875. Like that's the perfect amount. Um, but it's a horse pill. I put a picture up on Twitter and asked if anybody'd seen a bigger pill and, um, Matt chimed in with yes, but he used to work at an animal hospital and Brandon from Brawling Brothers told me to make sure that I had a trough of water to take the pill with. <laughs> yeah, which, to which I replied, nice work, sir, because that was very, very well done. 
We're heading up to Portland this weekend. We'll be hitting up Guardian Games on Sunday afternoon. So if you're in the area, keep an eye on Twitter as to when we'll be up there. We'd like to like to meet some folks. Yeah, it's going to be fun because that's where you're from, and I've never been there. So I'll get to see his old, your old stomping grounds. Yeah, I'm a little nervous about it. It's the first time I've been up there in almost 20 years, and it's the first time I've been up there since both my parents have passed away. So it's going to be a little, I don't know, weird... Um, Maybe not. It's just, I have like a sense of, not foreboding, that wouldn't be the right word, but kind of a just a apprehension about going back, quote unquote, home mm-hmm. and seeing, just seeing things and things being so different in my life nowadays. Right. It, it, it's going to be a little weird, I think, but I'm looking forward to it. Don't get me wrong. We're going to be meeting up with uh, Jim from Punching Cardboard, hanging out. No, we get to see Tony K.O. Yeah, again. yay. Uh, and uh, a new guy we haven't met, Joe Sturgis. Plus, like I said, anybody else that wants the touch base, we may not have a ton of time to game, but we at least want to meet some folks. Yeah. So, like I said, watch Twitter, Guardian Games, and we're probably going to stop by Cloudcat Games as well on Sunday uh, at some point in the afternoon. Yeah. We fly out Sunday evening. So, yeah, if that's something that interests you, holler at us. YouTube's going well. I think so. The teaching and live playthrough videos have been going on now for right at about three weeks, give or take a little bit. Awfully solid mix of games so far in the first 14 videos. For those curious, we've done two of Lisboa, one of which with the overhead cam and et cetera, et cetera. Two for Roads and Boats, two for Feast for Odin, one for Tramways, one for La Havre, Maria, Madeira, Age of Steam, High Treason, Solarius Mission, and The Colonists. So if you're interested in learning any of those, and, well, sooner rather than later, many others, yep. go check out the videos. It's YouTube.com slash Heavy Cardboard Vids to see that. And we've been wanting for a long time to bring the game day experience that we have here to our listeners. And we've, we feel like this is one of the best ways to do that. And I mean, you're a natural in front of the camera. So. What? Yeah. I don't, it's just. It's just me being me. Well, I mean, that's why I'm saying you're a natural. Oh, all right. I guess yep. if that's you know whatever. It's I enjoy it. Uh, our game group thankfully enjoys it. Yep. Even though it gets a little warm in the room uh-huh. and and they you know it takes longer to play the games doing that and explaining everything and and thinking out loud and and doing all that. But they also realize that they're doing a huge service. I think yeah. to the hobby, and it, so it's not just us; it's the folks on the ga- in the game in our game group that are willing to to take the time and the effort and everything else. Plus, I mean, they get a little something out of it. I mean, it's cool to watch yourself on TV or hear about people watching. It's still a little surreal to me. So the podcast thing I've gotten used to, right? I I, I realize that you know, at any given time, we're gonna have five thousand people out there around the world listening. It's still a little weird, but really cool. However. Seeing people streaming the YouTube videos, like somebody had it on an airplane on their laptop. So here we are at 35,000 feet. Or somebody had it on their 55-inch TV in their living room. Yep. That's That's weird. I'm not not there yet as far as... And he's there with the podcast. I'm not. I don't like... (laughs) I don't want to think about that. Thank you. It's just me and you talking, right? Totally. Okay. Well, it is right now. It won't be tomorrow. Hey, hey. (laughs) (laughs)
There's a game that just dropped on the Kickstarter a couple days ago called Rising Sun. It's a game of negotiation and minis. It's doing really well. It, a few hours, it hit like $800,000 since it launched, which, hey, good on them. I only bring this up as a lead-in into the fact that there are a number of folks that seem to be upset that the game only plays three to five players. They want it to play two players. It's a negotiation game. Not every game needs to play every player count, at least in my opinion. I mean, why should designers and publishers try and shoehorn a game into a player count that just doesn't make for a good gaming experience? It's really okay to have games with specific, narrow player counts as it's going to offer the very best experience for your investment being the, the gamer, the person who's buying it. Isn't that a good thing? Isn't that what we want? And on that note, I understand that publishers need to sell games and sell many copies of their games, but I do wish that they would stop doing what I just talked about in adding on player counts that aren't what the game was meant to play. Dominant Species is a two-player game. Yes, it can be played at that player count. I get that. But is that the best play experience for the people playing that game? Not just no, but hell no. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at you, Caverna. Seven players? Really? Doesn't mean that I ever want to play it, much less with six other people. Can you imagine the downtime on that? Hell, my favorite game of all time through the ages. It says it plays two to four. I hate my day job. I'd rather be working at my day job than play that four players. My point here is... I don't want a cromulent game experience when I take a box off the shelf. I want to experience the very best that a game has to offer. And trying to force a round peg into a square hole, that ain't doing anyone any good. So before a publisher says a game plays 1 to 5, but it really plays 4 to 5, or the community laments that a game they want to play isn't designed for a specific player count, maybe folks need to ask themselves, sure it can, but should it? This episode is brought to you by BoardGameTables.com. If you're in the market for a beautiful, hand-built, custom board game table that is sure to become the centerpiece of your game room, go check them out over at BoardGameTables.com and tell them Heavy Cardboard sent ya. I'm hungry. You hungry? Not at all, actually. We just had some nice tilapia, uh, some rice, and some sautéed uh, asparagus. So no, I'm all set. But I could really go for some flax, some wheat, and a horn of meat. I'd like to try the horn of mead. That sounds tasty, you don't potentially. Like beer. But it's mead, maybe. A Feast for Odin, published in 2016, designed by Uwe Rosenberg. Artworks by Dennis Lohausen, published by, well, let's face it, a bunch of publishers. But here in the US, the main one's Z Man Games. It purports to play one to four players with a playtime of 30 to 120 minutes. As far as availability, it's between printings. Word is it should be again available again in the next couple of months, and it's going for about 80 bucks online here in the States online when it's available. I've played the game now five times, and play, I've played it two, three, and four players. I've only played it four. I missed out on the first game with you and Matt. But Which I've, is why I played it two-player. Right, but I've played it two fours and two threes. So as far as scalability... It doesn't scale. Yeah, it's very little at most. I mean, there are the two imitation spaces that get added with four players, but outside of that, 
There really isn't a whole lot by way of scaling, nope. huh? Nope. The board is the board is the board. Yep. So why don't you tell everybody just a little bit about Odin? Well, he's a Norse god, and no, no, all right. <laughs> Uwe Rosenberg's latest game has the players playing as groups of Norsemen, or commonly known as Vikings, trying to make the best use of the 62 worker placement spaces to hunt, gather basic materials, refine those materials, develop some production buildings, build or buy ships, and raid settlements. So basically being a Viking. The resulting earnings are placed on players' boards Tetris-style, to produce income and victory points over the course of six rounds. So let's talk components. I mean, they're good. I would, they're, oh, I, I'd say they're excellent. Yeah, I would expect nothing less from, you know, this quality of, of game. Like, you know, the, the pieces are nice and big and chunky. The Not only the wood, but the cardboard pieces are really big and, and nice. And it, the game does actually come with a tray to hold all of the bits. Two trays, which I think is a vital necessity. And I think it was a really smart and appreciated Very. addition because of the amount of cardboard that's, yep. that's in the game. It definitely was built to last and handle lots and lots of repeated mm-hmm. play. So props there. Nothing but good things to say about the components. Plus, you know, there's a moople. Yeah, that's like the best part. A moose meeple. A moople. A moople. As far as the box size, it's 12.2 by almost 9 inches, but nearly 5 inches thick. That's twice as thick as Agricola as a comparison. Or if you're, you know, using that funny metric system, 31 centimeters by 22 centimeters by 12 centimeters. As far as graphic design, again, like the components, really excellent. Consistent throughout the whole game. And I can't think of any issues here save for one minor misprint on the board that holds the special tiles. The crucifix has a forge tong symbol and belongs on the other side of that board which is easily fixed and the game actually came with a piece of paper Mm -hmm. that says hey make sure you put this over here so outside of that i have oh i can't i i I struggle to really come up with any qualms i'm qualmless (laughs) once you have the iconography figured out you can you can figure out any of the cards you can figure out the board you can figure out all of it it's because it's consistent throughout the whole thing yeah, so really well done as far as the uh, graphic design goes. Yep. The artwork, I mean, it's typical Dennis Lowhousing, mm-hmm. right? It's just cartoony enough. Yeah, I, I, I think of it as like whimsical cartoonish. Yeah, but not so much that it looks like a cartoon and looks weird. It's just just good. The coloring is good. The artwork, you know, I mean, it's it's what we would expect at this point from yeah. a Nuva game. Yeah, I, I, I like it. And nice little perk that it has nice little Easter eggs on all yes. the different boards, much like uh, Fields of Arla uh-huh. did and, and so on and so forth. So, yeah. Again, artwork is subjective, but I think uh, Dennis, well, Dennis was Dennis, and yep. that's a good thing. Yep. Talking about the w- rule book now, this too, I think it's a well put together rule book. It's laid out well. There are a few spots that definitely could have been worded clear and some better clarifications given. Overall, though, I think it's pretty well done. There are 169 rules questions, though, on BGG. 169. Whoa. But to be honest with you, I can't help but shake my head when reading a good number of them. As many of those are clearly explained in the rule book, and people, it, it's a user issue, not a rule book issue. Again, there are some that are legit, no doubt. I mean, I've yet to see a perfect rule book. Right. That said, though, I really say well done overall on the rule book. While not exactly rule book related, I wanted to point out a couple things that definitely deserve kudos here as well. 
There's a really well put together appendix that lists all the occupation cards and explains those as well as a little bit more information. Which is really nice. Yes. You can hand that around the yeah, table. And, oh, I drew this card. What is it? Let me you know, double check it. Yep. And there's an almanac that gives reference and context about the various historic items in the game. I thought that was really a just a wonderful touch. And it really helped to tie the theme in with the, uh, yeah. to the game. So really well done on that. Yeah, I agree. That's really cool. As far as setup, teardown, teaching, and learning, the setup actually is a breeze because yes. of those counter trays yeah. that you had mentioned. You pick them up and put them on the table. It, yeah. Really, really. Yeah. that's that, It saves an enormous amount of time. It's something that, like, the colonists yes. would have benefited from. Yes. But then the setup is easy, but the teardown... That's the hard part because you, you have put to put back everything in, back. Right, right. As far as teaching and learning, honestly, go watch our videos. Yep. We've done two videos on it already. Uh, YouTube.com forward slash heavy cardboard vids if you're interested in hearing more about that. This is Quentin Smith from Shut Up and Sit Down and you're listening to Heavy Cardboard. All right, let's talk about the five factors that we say give a game its weight. Starting off with complexity. Uh, none. No, I wouldn't say none now. Come on. The complexity isn't in the rules, though. Agreed. Uh, For as many worker placement spots as there are, and boy, are there a lot. There's 62 in a four-player game. You'd think there would have been a ton of rules overhead, but it's really not the case. really not, no. One thing that I will say that really helps with uh, controlling the amount of rules and helping, at least me, process everything and to make it... Uh, play a lot smoother uh-huh. is the fact that it's really procedural on the yep. there there's a board that is strictly for okay step one step mm-hmm. two step three and you just follow it along yes, that makes it easier for sure it makes it way easier and that's why games like this or demoker or whatever are a lot lighter rules wise mm-hmm. than they seem on the on the surface for the simple fact that oh okay we're in this step we do x y and right, z that's right. really simple so i think that, coupled with the really solid graphic design, the game just makes sense from a rules it standpoint. It does, very much, yes. And it's really easy to get into. Oh, yeah, very easy. All right, let's go into the planning, you know, how much thinking ahead, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. To me, this is where the game is. Planning out how you're going to fill out that Tetris of a board, how are you going to get the big goods to fill up the board, how are you going to plunder, how are you going to upgrade to the big good stuff, how are you going to make sure you can... Do animal husbandry and, you know, just that's that's where the game is. Totally agree. There's a fair amount here. And, and like you said, this is really where the game gets almost all of its weight. Yeah. Pre-game, you can kind of map out your basic route of what direction that you want to go. And honestly, for the most part, you can play the game following that path. Mm-hmm. And since the worker placement locations range from one to four workers per space, and each player has the exact same amount of workers every round... That grows as the game progresses, but everybody has the same amount. Players can attempt to map out their entire turn before the first worker is placed. Now, this being a worker placement game, there is some blocking that may go on, but much like Caverna, there are multiple paths available to players to do similar things. So it doesn't really keep players from doing what they want to do over the course of the game. Plus, again, in a four-player game, you have those imitate spaces available, which further opens up the game and allows for workarounds. So there's, yes, there is, you know, some 
interaction in a negative way that, oh, you took the space I was going to go to. That's okay. I'll go Mm -hmm. do this and I'll do that at a later time. So you can still follow your path and the plan that you have laid out is, I guess, what I'm trying to get at. Mm -hmm. There are so many ways to go about everything, though. It can be a little bit overwhelming at the beginning. Oh, as far as planning? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when when I, I remember my first game, when I sat down, even though I'd seen pictures of it, I was like, oh, yeah. that's a lot of spaces. Yes. What? And then you look at <laughs> you look at how many negative points you start with, uh-huh. and you're like, there ain't no way I'm going to be able yeah. to cover all that up before the game ends. And wait, you want to add more boards on Right. That? How the hell am I supposed that's, to do that? That's everybody's first reaction when they play it for the first time. It's, you want me to get another board? Right. What? Yeah. The occupation cards help give direction as mm-hmm. well uh, and help play. They can. They don't necessarily do, but they can. But they can, yeah. You know, you're starting occupation cards as well as, you know, if you get some early in the game. It kind of gives you, okay, hey, this is pushing me towards raiding. Okay, right. what do I need to get raid? I need to go get some ships, mm-hmm. and then I can go and raid. Exactly. Or I need swords, et cetera, et cetera, that type thing. So big picture, though, I feel like it's a mix of strategic and tactical planning that's going to be involved in over the course of a game. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about the luck and the random factors in the game. Yeah. So there are three that I could think of, and you tell me if you think there's more. There's the random draw of the starting occupation card. There's the random draw of occupation cards Mm -hmm. throughout the game. And then the big one, because people are like, it has dice that you roll. So you have to roll those dice for hunting, whaling, raiding, etc. But you're able to mitigate Mm -hmm. those rolls really easily. Yeah, they can... The only other thing I would add is the weapons cards as well. Oh, those good are call. all different yes, too. Yes, totally. Um, and those are blind drawn as well. Um, the like you said, the dice are rolled when hunting, whaling, etc. But if you don't get the number you want, you can always add stuff to get to where you want to be. Right. Whether it's you know if you're laying snares, it's wood and snares. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't have snares, but I have five wood. Right. Okay, I need to roll a five or less on a eight sided die to be able to do it. And you get to roll every die three times. Right. So there's a, I almost, I mean, it imparts a little bit of randomness, but honestly, I think it is a completely negligible part of the game. It really is, because not only can you add things to make the roll be what you want, but even if you just can't do that for whatever reason, the game gives you back stuff. Yeah. Okay, oh, I failed in laying snares. I get a wood and a snare. Right, and a person back. Or potentially, yeah. yeah. So depending on how many workers you put out there, what, what the space gives you yep. back. So yeah. it's as far as the, the rolling goes, I think it is a total non-factor yeah. in the game. So if we're really only talking about it, then the cards. Right, it's all about drawing the cards. Yeah. And I'll be honest... A lot of times we play with the base game, just whatever the rules say, and that's that. Mm-hmm. We have implemented two house rules that I'll mention real quick that have minimal impact on the overall game, but it does lower the randomness in the game. The first one is each player gets two starting occupation cards and then chooses to keep one before yep. game play begins. Easy enough. Mm-hmm. I've heard about some people doing three and choosing one. Okay, so be it. The other is with those occupation cards throughout the game, we have a three-card display of occupation cards for players to choose along with the random top card off the deck. So 
you have you see three of them, you don't like any of those, then it's a random card draw. But at least you had choices as opposed to, oh, I draw a card, oh, this right. is useless to Right, me. and the last game that we played, it actually went two or three turns around the table with everybody that, that chose to draw a card action did the blind draw. So we all voted to wipe the three that were out there and just put three more down. Yeah, and so it it again that's not a huge impact in the game, but again it minim or it mitigates a lot of the the just blind draws. Yeah, because I mean there's hundreds of cards. Literally, yeah. I, I at least at least over a hundred. Yeah, Let's there's put it that way. But the stack, whenever you have them all out, it's like three inches tall. Yeah, it's it's massive. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a total non-issue yeah. as far as the randomness, honestly. And mm-hmm. then you have. Like you mentioned earlier, the weapon draw, there's ways around that as well. Yeah. I mean, you don't draw the weapon. You don't need the weapons no. to go out to go hunt and it raid and It just helps you with your die rolls if right. you need to. that's it. That's it, though. As far as game length goes, for me, assuming normal pace of play and nobody's, you know, terribly APing, I feel like the game length fits perfectly. It just, it fits right into the time, just the feel, you feel like, yeah, that took the yeah, right amount exactly. of time, right? You're not like... Oh, that really could have gone like two less rounds, or right. it could have gone two more. No, it's it's perfect what it is. Yeah, those six rounds are nailed it. Yep. As far as getting it, basic rules I would say being taught, but I would say that um, the feast part, maybe one feast to understand that piece and how that works. But other than that, that you get it pretty quick. Yeah, because it is a nuve game, and you do have to feed in this game. Although that's it, really is a kinder, gentler feeding yep. in this. Uh, The other thing that I wanted to highlight is the emigration action. If it's not explained well prior to the game, that may catch players by surprise a bit. As well as the aforementioned massive wall of negative points, it can be scary. But you just need to explain to players that, look, it looks horrifying now, but you're going to not only fill that in theory, but you're also going to add on these extra islands and you're going to be just fine. exactly. So outside of that, though... I really do agree that it's a quick pickup of the rules, the gameplay, and the basic strategy, mm-hmm. really. Absolutely. So, what do you think? Medium, medium, heavy, heavy? Medium. I want to say medium as well. I could make a case that it's medium heavy just because of the sheer amount. It looks... Maybe that's a better way to put it. It looks medium yeah, heavy. I could, yeah, I could see that. But it really plays as a, as a mid-weight oh, game. Yeah. It really, really does. I'd put it on par with something like a Solarius mission or Great Western Trail. Yeah, yeah. All right. Let's highlight the highs of the game for us. Okay. For me, I enjoy filling out the board, the Tetris-like stuff. I enjoy that part. But that fits with my personality. It really does. And it very much is not at all something that I enjoy. And we'll, we'll talk about that more here in a little bit on the other side of things. But it just goes to show that different strokes for different folks, yep. right? I think that the many aspects of the game that are thematic and make sense are are really, really yeah, cool. that's cool. The trading, the raiding, the hunting, mm-hmm. all good stuff. It really adds flavor to the game, and mm-hmm. that aspect of the game feels thematic to me. It makes... It, it helps the game. Whereas I know that you... Well, we'll talk about that here in a little bit when we get to some of your negatives. Right, but... And another... Speaking of it feeling thematic like in all my games i never went whaling because i feel bad because <laughs> i don't want to kill whales that's just mean so. so so you'll trap you'll trap squirrels and rabbits uh-huh. and, and and do all that uh-huh. and you'll go raiding and kill people uh-huh. 
and you know rape the women uh-huh. and see them see your enemies driven before you hear the, the lamentations, lamentations right, of the yeah, women, yeah. right? So yeah. that's okay. But I don't want to kill whales. Okay. Hey, you know what? The theme is working then. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I love the inclu- inclusion of the chit trays. I mean, it's a it's while it's it feels necessary, it's a nice touch mm-hmm. that I think goes a long way yeah. to really helping. I mean, it's stuff we already talked about. Right. I know it's a minor thing, but it's something it's I wanted to really yeah. highlight. Getting the perfect die roll or the perfect card, you know, adds to the enjoyment. But, you know, while those things are definitely luck-based, the nature of the game doesn't really make me be upset about luck. Like, yeah, I mean, the luck piece doesn't bother me. Yeah, this it's the stuff that we yeah, talked we about. I, about. I think yeah. it fits perfectly fine with that. Again, this is kind of something that I already mentioned, but I really want to harp on it, is an excellent job of the game appearing overwhelming, but actually making the game move really, really smoothly, and there's just not a lot of downtime if the players are doing their job. Mm -hmm. It's just a masterful design in that respect. And there's, there's multiple paths to focus on. You know, do I focus on raiding? Do I focus on trading, exploring new lands, and to a lesser degree, the occupations? It definitely gives you options in what you want to focus on in a given game. And you don't have to focus on just one Mm -mm. thing. Um, You may for some of the higher scores out there, but it doesn't, the game doesn't force you to do that. Right. You know, and figuring out weird ways to go about getting the things that you need because there's so many ways to obtain stuff from the board. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, there, there are oodles. Yeah, oodles. And again, uh, fantastic production. And I would say, neither of us have played this solo. So, caveat there. But I think this is going to be one of the very best out there. If you want to play an optimization game for a solo game, I think this would be fantastic for that. Absolutely fantastic. So if you followed us on social media, you'll know that wasn't our favorite game. Nope. So let's talk about... Why that is. Not just, oh, I don't like it. So let, let's focus on this side for a little bit. So it's a multiplayer solo efficiency puzzle. Yep. It's a, Like I just said, it sounds fine for a solo game, but for me, not so much fun for a two to four player game. Just not, that's not what I'm looking for in a game in any sh- Way, form shape, or fashion. Form, fashion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's hardly any player interaction. Yeah, and by hardly... There really hardly is. Now, you would think, oh, it's a worker placement game, so you're going to be getting in each other's way, left and right, so on and so forth. Not really. There's so many different spaces that there's just there's just too many options to be able to work around it. It really is a kinder, gentler, wider open sand, sandbox. Yep. Now, when we had previously spoken about Caverna, that was my biggest complaint about the game is there's just no tension in the game i just and this is that on steroids because there's just there's just too much that you can do that oh you went there ah it's a bummer i'll go do this i'll come back and do that in another round i just it felt wholly unfulfilling to me that aspect and if it's a worker placement game and the worker placement actions are just you feel left wanting that's not a good mix right there mm-hmm. for me like like you said i actually in our in my last game called it a kind and gentle gentle uva which banker dave said i sounded disappointed when i said that but i am i mean starting with caverna all of his games are just milk toast and treats everyone with kid gloves which 
there's nothing wrong with that. Let us preface that, all right? Not every game is going to be for every player. But that said, eh, yeah, whatever. I mean, give I mean, me Agricola and the irritation of you taking that food spot I needed. Yeah, or, or at Labor or Le Havre. Basically, what we're saying is from, from 2011 and prior, that's our wheelhouse. Yeah. 2012 on, it's just not us. Nope. It, it just very much is. The game can be, as I said, intimidating to new players, but that's easily assuaged fear, um, mm-hmm. you know, during during the teach. But it's there. So, Amanda, you, you mentioned earlier the whole patchwork Tetris part of the game. Just felt completely unnecessary and just not enjoyable for me in the least. I, I agree that it's unnecessary, but I still think it's fun. And I do understand the thematic reasoning for it, that, like, when... When the Vikings would die, they would be buried mm-hmm. with all their, their precious goods so that when they go to Valhalla, they have all these things. Right. With, I, I totally understand the theme. Don't get me wrong. I'm not harping on that. I dig that aspect. but And that's why the lesser items don't get buried with you right. out on I your mean, playboard. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, I get that. But why? Right. Like, why Why is everything shaped different? Why, why am I doing this? It just... And I understand that there are some aspects of thousand different games that there's stuff that you just gotta kind of shrug and be like, okay. But usually in those cases, it's stuff I enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. It just felt tedious and it felt unnecessary and it felt just, it felt like work. Like not literally, but you understand right, what I'm right. saying. It just, it's not, it's not something that I enjoy in a game. The funny thing is, is patchwork, that was cool. It's a 20-minute game. Mm-hmm. It's different. Totally different, yeah. right? Yeah. The game is completely static, except for the occupation cards. Correct. But outside of that, everything is static. Now, replayability, it's there if you want to try and optimize and do better what you were doing. Mm-hmm. Or you wanted to try this this slight variation in what it was you were doing. You wanted to, you know, you wanted to do more immigration in this game. Or you wanted to raid more. Or you wanted to try and get this other island instead of that one. Fine. But, eh. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's just not changing. Yeah, it, it's too static for what it is that I wanted. All players are on the same path. You're covering negative spaces on your board. Ultimately, that's what this game is about. You are, you are getting Tetris-like pieces to cover your negative, point, uh, negative points and to cover the positive income so that you can then cover more negative points on other boards. That is that is the crux of the game. Everything else, everything else in this game is secondary to that. You have to stay, you know, realize what it is you're trying to do, and everybody's doing the same thing. Right. Yes, some people could say, yeah, hey, you're just trying to get victory points in every other game, every other Euro, that's all you're trying to do. It's just the way you go about it. But everybody's going about it the very similar ways and that's my issue mm-hmm. right yeah does that make sense it does it's like i mean there is some variability in the paths that you can take but ultimately it's just optimization right to me an optimization game sounds awesome as a solo player not as a multiplayer game right and on that note i mean if two players plays the same as four player my guess is it's best as a solo game and i've heard I mean, Travis from Low Player Count, Jim from Punching Cardboard, those guys really enjoyed the solo aspect of the game. I can understand that. I totally would would want to play this as a solo game. If we played solo games. I'm trying. I'm trying to get there, but I'm not there yet. I'm not. 
and I think this is probably the biggest problem that I have with the game, or the 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 biggest disconnect for me, is that I at no point ever once do I feel tension in the game. Right. I my my very first game, I felt some pressure from oh my god, I gotta cover all these negative spots, and then. Uh, I forget who, t- I think it was Matt that talked. He's like, you'll yeah. be able to cover him, relax. I'm like, you sure? He's mm-hmm. like, yeah. I'm like, all right. After that, there's just no tension. It feels like a leisurely stroll. And it's not what I want in a worker placement game. Right. It's just not what I'm looking for. So is this boo on me for having preconceived notion? I want it to be X, Y, and Z? Maybe. And that's entirely possible. But the fact is, meh. You know what I mean? It's just very much not my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. The game's a bit of a table hog. Not an issue for no. us, but for some people out there. And it can be a bit fiddly with all the Tetris pieces. And then you're like, oh, no, I can't do it that way. Hold on. i got to yep. pull all these things and up. And then to... if you bump your player board, oh, my goodness. So, but, yeah, that's that's pretty much my my why as to why I'm not a fan of Feast for Odin. How mm-hmm. about you? Yeah. There are a ton of comments on BGG on both sides of the board on this one. Uh, A lot of people on the positive side were just, oh, it's amazing the amount of stuff that you get. It's amazing just the puzzle aspect. And and that's the thing. I I don't want a puzzle game, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That's, that's, but that seems to be the recurring theme on the positive side is it's an amazing optimization and puzzle game, mm-hmm. which if you like those things, awesome. Right. And you're definitely going to like Odin. We're not. We don't. Right. No. So on the flip side, some comments from BGG, quote, the most multiplayer solitaire game I've ever played. The exercise just kind of seems pointless. In Agricola, there seems to be more direction, more struggle, more reward. But I leave a feast for Odin feeling fairly dissatisfied. It feels like a Kickstarter game where it met too many stretch goals. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I at least understand where they're coming yeah, from. Yeah, absolutely. This one kind of made me chuckle, but I was like, well, I guess I could kind of see it. What we have here is an unremarkable resource conversion worker placement game grafted onto a complicated version of Fitz. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if Uva is getting nicer as he ages or if he's seeing the monetary potential in producing games that are just more. More player boards, more pieces, more stuff. And not only that, but nicer. Congratulating you on missing a dial roll while hunting? You mean, everyone gets a medal, right? Now don't get me wrong, I like the game, but there are many other games I would rather play than A Feast for Odin. Yeah, I think that it, the kinder, gentler. Just not what I want. If ever there is built a board game hall of fame, Uwe Rosenberg absolutely deserves his place in it. However... He and I have come to a crossroads when it comes to his designs. From 2012 on, my tastes and Uwe's designs have diverged, possibly irrevocably. Now, don't get me wrong, there's nothing at all wrong with Glass Road, Caverna, Fields of Arla, Feast for Odin. They're all very well-designed games, but the fact is, they weren't designed with me in mind. But I can't help but feel a slight pang of sadness that a couple of the pillars of my board game roots, as Martin Wallace and Uwe Rosenberg, have gone from jubilation when I hear about their new design now to trepidation. Saying that, 
I know that I can still pull Agricola, Lahav, and Ora Labora off my shelf at any time and still enjoy the genius of Uve's designs. But when it comes to his modern stuff, it's a big pass for me. So as far as our ratings, what we rate on a one to six scale, one being burn it with fire. It's not me. It's very much you. <laughs> you need to just go away. Uh-huh. A two is it's not you. It's me. It's just not. I. It wasn't designed with me in mind. A three is, yeah, you know, there's some good stuff here, but, you know, overall, nah, nah, meh is a good way to describe that one. A four, hey, now we're getting into a good game. This is a game where we're seriously going to consider picking the game up. A five is a great game. Absolutely, we're going to own this game and can't wait to play it again. A six, six is a Hall of Fame. Man, what an amazing game that would be. So, with that said, Amanda, what'd you rate this? A three. It's a solid meh for me. The redeeming quality for me is that I enjoy the Tetris aspect of it. But that's really the only... I mean, that and the moose meeple. Yeah, moople. Duh. Yeah. Moople. So for me, I rated it a two. I mean, if I'm going to follow what our ratings are, right? It's not the game's fault. It's a me. It's not my cup of tea. So, fair is fair, right? And that's A Feast for Odin. So Edward, why don't you tell everybody how to contact us? All right, our website, heavycardboard.com. Email, contact at heavycardboard.com. We love hearing from y'all. We love getting emails, and we try to answer all of them. Twitter, at heavycardboard. Facebook, heavycardboard. YouTube, heavycardboard vids. Instagram's heavycardboard. Our Patreon, please support us. Patreon.com forward slash heavycardboard. BGG Guild, number 2044. And we also have a phone number for you all to call and leave us voicemails. The phone number is 720-675-8975 is the number. So call us, leave your thoughts or questions, and we might mention it on the show. So we're off to Portland, y'all. Woo! We'll catch y'all, uh, y'all I guess Monday, y'all will have my pop blast about the... The mental space I've been going through lately. Yeah. If that's something that interests you, download it. If not, give it a pass. No worry. We'll, we'll label it as such. After that, um, we'll catch you all next week then, yeah? Yeah. All right. If you're in Portland, holler. <laughs>